0: I was in a uh, denomination at that time, I grew up going to church, my mother was a Sunday school teacher, and I didn't have a choice until about 10th grade, but uh, up until the 9th grade I went through all the things, and, and maybe you've heard of a thing called confirmation, Everybody been through confirmation, you know what that is? At the end of the confirmation, two things happen, one, they hand you a Bible, you get a Bible with your name on it, and the second thing is, 90% of the class of confirmation you never see again, huh? <laughs> That was definitely my case, but I was kind of forced to go. And I can remember they gave me this, this uh, Bible, the uh, first Bible I'd ever had. And I remember taking it home, and I was in ninth grade or so, and I remember thinking, I wonder what's in this Bible. And like every ninth grade boy, the, the first thing on my mind is, oh, there's, a, there's an index, a topical index in the back. There you go. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, T, I get S. <laughs> and I open it right up and I look under S, S, E, S, E, no, S, what, there's no, there was nothing in this back of this Bible on sex. There was nothing in the Bible about sex, I thought. So I thought, well, that's not a resource for me to look at. Because <laughs> I had an I was a ninth grade boy, and I had a lot of questions. But I figured, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about that. Au contraire. (laughs) The Bible is full of sex. It's full of teachings about sex. And that's what we're doing right now in our series. We're in the middle of a series, a big series, called The Church on Fire. It's a study of the book of Acts. And when we came to Acts chapter 15 we came across a curious passage where the apostles asked these new churches to abstain from some things because there was controversy whether or not they should have to follow follow Jewish customs or not. And so the apostles came to a decision, and this is the decision they made. In Acts chapter 15, verses 19 to 21, James is speaking as one of the apostles, and he said, Is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meats of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. We've talked about this a few weeks, so just for the benefit of you who are new here this week, that's how we got off on this series. Right now we're doing a series called The Pain of Sexual Immorality. Why would the apostles... Include that one thing. The other things kind of make sense. They're culturally uh, offensive to a Jewish person. So if you have Jewish people and non-Jewish people, the non-Jewish people should you know, not do these things because it's offensive. But why sexual immorality, and we looked at that last week in, in the beginning of our series, the pain of sexual immorality. Now, before I give you a summary of last week, let me let me tell you why primarily why God doesn't want. His people involved with sexual immorality. It's not because God is a killjoy. Not at all. In fact, if you read the Bible with the attitude uh, that that uh, God, what does God want from you? What He wants for you is maximum pleasure. He created sex to have that. He wants you to have great sex. He wants you to have maximum sex. That has to be done though according to the instructions, the way God designed it. And the, the reason I called this series the pain of sexual immorality is actually stealing from Dave Johnson of the Open Door, who did a series called The Pain of Pornea. But I don't like Greek words in titles, so I call it The Pain of Sexual Immorality. And so uh, it kind of loses a little bit of its punch, but you know what it means, at least. <laughs> <laughs> My contention is that if you do not follow God's design for sexuality, it will result in pain in your own life and the lives of others. That's the, that's the reason. God is not up there saying, oh, I don't want you to have any fun. That's not, that's not his point. His point is, I want you child to enjoy the deepness of all of life there is and I want to show you how to do that. God is the ultimate father, like that song that John Mayer wrote about his daughter. That's nothing compared to what God thinks about you. Now, just a quick introduction, because this, this is not going to make a whole lot of sense today if you don't remember from, from last week. We've got to do a quick summary. What is the purpose of sex? Those five things. First thing was, is, it's a gift from God. It is not something bad. It is not a dirty thing. It is, it is a beautiful thing. It's given by God for enjoyment and pleasure. Second thing is, we were created by God for loving relations. We were created for loving relationships of all kinds of people, especially, first and foremost, with God. Let me stop right there. Let me say this loud and clear. So if you didn't catch it last week, you'll hear it this week. Sex was never designed to fill you up, to make you feel alive. It is the greatest counterfeit I think we have to that. But you are designed to run on God, and you are designed to be in relationship with other people. You were also designed, the majority of you in this room were designed of God to be married. Some of you have a gift. God calls that gift singleness. It's a gift, according to the Bible. But most of you probably don't have that gift. You were designed to be in in, in a marriage relationship where the culmination of that is being naked in every area of your life, including physically, sexuality. Now, let me say this really clear. I say this to every couple that I marry. Jill could quote it because she knows. I say all my quotes from all the weddings I do. In fact, when I don't say certain things, Jill comes up to me afterwards. She says, what about the Fernando blessing? (laughs) Or what about you guys clean up really well? Or all those lines that I normally say. (laughs) I say this one too, and I mean it. Marriage does not solve your problem. It what, Jill? What? You don't remember that line? Oh, man. Just rearranges them. Thank you. Somebody who's been through uh, premarital counseling with me. Or someone who's just married, I guess. (laughs) Marriage does not solve your problems. Marriage does not solve your problems. I want every single person in this room to repeat after me. Marriage does not solve your problems. It just rearranges them. Okay, I used to be lonely. I I can never be alone now. Ever. (laughs) So I got a new problem. Is it any better than the old one? No. It's just different. If you're looking for people to be your source, if you're looking for sex to be your source of life, you're going to be disappointed. You were created by God to run on Him. Whether or not you ever get married or ever involved in sexual relations, it, it, it's almost irrelevant. Man, that wasn't written down. That's just free. I was just thinking of this stuff. All right. <laughs> Third thing. God created sex to be in the confines of a lifetime permanent relationship. Genesis 2.24. Hugely important passage. A man leaves his father and mother leaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. A man, a woman come together, marriage relationship, and there's in every area of their life they're one. And it's culminated in the physical union. It's a metaphor for everything else. It's not meant to be replacing. God is a genius, and he knew what, what sex was created for, and he knew what it wasn't created for, and he's trying to tell you what it's created for. Fourth thing. God wants us to experience sex without shame. Genesis 2:25, the man and the woman, this is after Adam and Eve were married there, the man and the woman were both naked and they felt no shame. Genesis 2:25. That's true. Maximum sex happens that way. And last thing, there's something about sexual immorality. And I'm defining sexual immorality as not using sex as the way God intends. It's wrong sexual behavior in any way, shape or form or thoughts. If it's not in the way God designed it, there's something about it that uniquely causes relational pain within you. First Corinthians 6, if you didn't didn't, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 13, I think the end of the chapter, verses to verse 20. It talks about every other sin doesn't have quite the impact that this one does. There's something, it's mystical, but there's something that happens to me that because I misuse that. <clears throat> the very thing that was making me to feel more intimate actually makes me feel more alone. That's what sexuality is designed for. We had to start there then. Okay, one of the rules of Bible study is when you read the Bible, you, you, you just read it in its culture, and then you try to say, does any of that transfer to today? Now, so then we have to ask the question, is, is there really an issue of sexual immorality today? <laughs> <laughs> what I just designed for you those, those five things and you maybe there's six I don't know a bunch of them that how God designed sex <clears throat> that's not what you're hearing that's not what you're hearing in your classes that's certainly not what you're hearing from your uh, relationships who are not, don't have a biblical worldview. view it's, it's not what you're hearing from your culture I can guarantee you that it's not what you're hearing from your culture. We're going to take a look in a minute at how our culture views this whole issue. It is as if there is a boombox. Now, you've got to go back to the 80s for me here for just a minute. But if you're walking around <clears throat> and you've got the ghetto blaster, remember those things? They're about this big and a guy walking around. Okay, it's like there's a boombox that's right here and it's blaring at you always. Not this. It's blaring at you a different view of sexuality. Nor can that be seen more than in what I would say is the worst case of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality all the way to the nth degree, which is the issue of rape. Forced sex with someone who doesn't desire it. A couple studies here in Rhode Island, a rape crisis center conducted a study with 1,700 teenagers and found that 65% of the boys and 37% of the girls from 7th to 9th grade thought that it was acceptable for a man to force a woman to have sex if they've been dating for more than six months. Six months? That's so long! Do you see? 7th to 9th graders. In 1991, the universities of the Big Ten estimated on their campuses that one out of every eight women will be the victim of rape or attempted rape in that year. That's 1991. That's not that long ago. We have got a problem. Why is it such a problem today? Why is sexual immorality, wrong sexual behavior, not the way that God designed it, why is that such a problem? I, I came up with five, five things that I, I think are the reasons why sex is a huge problem in our culture, the, uh, a proper understanding of it. The first one is the second law of thermodynamics. Eh? There you go. Preach it now. The first law of thermodynamics, I took, I took three quarters of physics, I at least can get this much out of it. Can I write those off then if I use it as a, yeah. Um, first law of thermodynamics is the conservation of, of energy. You, you, you'll never have more energy than you have right now. When you eat that cookie, it translates from potential energy in the cookie to energy in your body, whatever. The second law of thermodynamics, This <laughs> was a long time ago, man. <laughs> The second law of thermodynamics says this, in all energy exchanges, if no energy enters or leaves the system, the potential energy of the state will always be less than that of the initial state. In other words, it's this, it's your dorm room. (laughs) Things tend towards scatteredness, things tend towards lower energy. The The clothes that should be folded up and put in the drawer are scattered around on the floor, or in a big stack, or in some of your cases, moving a little bit. That's the second law of thermodynamics. Things tend towards disorder, lower states of energy. There's a great Simpsons, the, the great philosopher Homer. <clears throat> there's a great Simpsons where, where there's a school strike and, and Lisa creates this perpetual motion machine. Remember that one? And and, uh, and Homer says he's talking to margins. House we oh, the laws of thermodynamics. Just a minute. And, and Homer says, Homer says. Uh, what, what's with Lisa anyway? I mean, she creates this perpetual motion th- machine. The thing is worthless. I mean, it just keeps speeding up. <laughs> and then he says, Lisa, and he calls her and he says this. Yeah. <laughs> Seamless. That's all right. Homer says, Homer doesn't say this. Homer says, Homer says, don't! <clears throat> You don't have it? In this house, we obey the laws of thermodynamics. There you go. In this house, we obey the laws of thermodynamics. There's no building perpetual motion machines. Now. That is just so hope the way that worked, isn't it? That is just, it's just, you know, you know. You go on a slick thing, there's, I could give you 10 churches, but to us, that's just, that's just the way it always goes. Um, <laughs> Things tend towards lowest energy. That's why 98% of all diets fail, right? Eh, whatever. And that's what's happening in this area. Oh, it's not a big deal. It feels good. Whatever. Oh, you're such a prude. Why are, you, why, are you, why are you so restrictive? This is a thing to be celebrated, enjoyed. And you're talking about restriction? What's with you? Ah, second law of thermodynamics. Things tend towards less order. Second thing, frog in the kettle. Huh? I actually went on the internet and I actually found A a guy doing this on the internet, I thought, I don't think I'm going to put that on there. The idea is this. If you take a kettle of boiling water and you throw a frog in it, the frog will jump out. But if you take a kettle of cold water, put the frog in it, assuming that the frog doesn't mind being in the kettle. Okay, there is that assumption. uh, And then turn up the water slowly, he will boil himself to death. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in our culture. Amazingly. In my lifetime, it's amazing. Do you know when, and, 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 and those of you who are older like me, uh, remember the movie or the, the show I Love Lucy? It was very controversial because they had a bedroom scene where they were talking in bed. Do you know, you know how they solved that? Is there anybody? <laughs> Two beds. They had Lucy in one bed and Ricardo in the other bed. And that's how you just assumed people in TV world lived with separate beds. Now, think of that. That I'm not saying that we were sexually moral then. Don't, do not hear me that. But just think of where that was then in the 60s and 70s to sitcoms now. Think of Friends. I challenge you to watch one episode of Friends that does not violate the idea of sexual mores the way God designed. One episode, you can you can write me and tell me. I, I challenge you, Seinfeld. And I think Seinfeld is very funny, but you have to filter it constantly because okay, that's not a, a view of sexuality. We're being a frog in a kettle. Where forty years ago, thirty years ago, I wouldn't have laughed at that. Now I'm okay with it. Just be no, just know that the water's warmer. And for you to hold these values, biblical values on sexuality. You are very different than the temperature of the water. Third thing, it's simply this: it works. Sex sells. It's a very interesting little uh, little study I spent way too much time on. But there's, if you go to the internet and just type in "sex in advertising" and just read some of the studies, it is amazing how they people know this. They tell you how to do it. The whole thing. Remember the old days? The old days you used to want a beer. And 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 uh, uh, old Milwaukee. Anybody remember what old the Mil- slogan for Old Milwaukee was? Doesn't get any better news. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's right. And where were they sitting? They were sitting around a campfire, and there's a calm lake, and they're looking out the sunset, they're kicked back, they just caught a fish, or two or three, or whatever, and they, they are drinking an old Milwaukee. Huh? Now I'm from the Iron Range, that sounds good. That is That sounds great. Or remember remember, Lone Brow? What was it Lone Brow? yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Lone Brow. I want a steak. What's that? No, that's not Lone Brow. But that's, that's, that's uh, Lone Brow is, uh, I want a steak and a Lone Brow. Does anyone remember that? I don't, even, I don't know if Lone Brow is still around anymore. But okay, uh, Miller, Miller Beer. Remember that? End of the day, guys working hard, what do they say? Miller it's Miller time. Okay? That's how beer used to be advertised. Now, I'm going to show you two different, two different pictures here. I'm going to tell you, you're going to see a little, little case study here. Which one do you think will sell more beer? A. <laughs> or B. There you go. Now, let me tell you, it was hard to find something decent enough just to show you. (laughs) B. Now, let's just stop and think about this for a second. If you drink a lot of the product, will you look more like A (laughs) or B? You will look more like A. But B communicates Bud Light. And I can have this And I will, I will, I will, maybe I'll even look like that. I look happy. I've got a beer. (laughs) Dating. How images affect that. If I were to show you this image of someone asking for a date, this one. See? you go with Molly, wouldn't you? Not even sure what the other guy's name is, but. Uh. <laughs> now, this is in there. I just got this. Uh, I get My Yahoo is my homepage, you know, and I do all my internet searches there. And this is one came up, and I said, thank you. That was very nice. Look at this one. Okay, there's Molly there. Got a kind of a coy smile to her, doesn't she? Look coy. And look at the caption. It says, find a snow angel who's devilish. Huh? And there it is. It just stinks all over the place. In other words, what do you want? You want someone who's just a wonderful person and will do everything for you and will take your slippers off and will, you know, go get you that other beer. So, but not too many. So in other you'll look like that other guy. But you'll, she'll do all that stuff. But <laughs> she's also kind of devilish. And you know what that means. She's not referring to the fact that she's going to come up to you in the middle of the night and put a gun to your head. right? That'd be devilish. No, no, no. <laughs> it means she's sexual. There's something about her that's sexual. Click on that thing because I need to find me a Molly, right? Who's a snow angel. And, and, and you know, amazing. I, I was just blown away. It, 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 okay, I can see it for the dating thing. The beer thing is a stretch. Gum? Gum. This is the one I just do not get. There. How about I try to sell you gum like this, have gum, eat gum, there's some gum, or why not turn it up a little bit, gum, boom, whoa, I remember when these commercials first started coming out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gum. I want want to take just a second here, and I want to show you something here. Look at this. Here's the dude. Here's the guy. Okay, now, he's close to her, so he's obviously had a piece of the (laughs) gum. Now, if I were a woman, if I were a woman, I'd be ticked off. Because you're getting duped more than men. Men, we buy this junk. We buy dentine ice because we think, whoa, it's going to get me a woman like that. But check out the woman. The guy is in, uh, he's barely wearing a shirt, right? And he's got a pair of grubby jeans on. She's got on his fancy dress, and look at this, no shoes. Why does she have no shoes on? (laughs) I'm not being funny here. Why does she have no shoes on? She is getting ready to be undressed. She is, it's a sexual thing. He doesn't need to, you know, he doesn't need to do anything. He doesn't need to do anything. Clean up, doesn't need to shave, doesn't need to even put underarm deodorant on. He just has to have gum. Look at this poor dude over here. <laughs> What's the only difference? No gum. <laughs> right? Look at this poor lady back here. And the two kids over here making it like it's playful. You guys, we're being duped. We're constantly being fed this boombox of noise in our brains. Flip back a few to that quote. I, I messed up that. I meant to say this quote. Uh, flip back to the quote from Stephen Hainer, who used to be, I think, is he still president of university? I'm not sure. This is from 1990, um, 1991. It says, one strong message is that sexual fulfillment is the key to being happy. Both boys and girls are considered weird in our culture if they are still virgins at age 18. So it should surprise no one, uh, so it should be no surprise that only 70% of young men Uh, excuse me, that over 70% of young men and women have had intercourse before that age. The message is, and this is the message, you can't possibly be a fulfilled human being if you're not having sex in a way that excites you and having it often. You're hearing that. You're hearing it when you buy gum. It is loud constantly. C.S. Lewis, who I quoted him last week. C.S. Lewis is one of my heroes Um, He writes this. If you want to flip to that? Oh, you're good back there. Good. (laughs) C.S. Lewis says this. Or take it another way. You can get a large audience together for a striptease act. That is, to watch a girl undress on the stage. Now, suppose you come to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see. And just before the lights went out, That it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And would not anyone who had grown up in a different world think that there's something equally queer about the state of sex instinct of the sex instinct among us? There you go. He's dead, but I'll take it for him. You have a boombox from your culture. It's not only your culture, though. There's a couple things going on with you within you. First one is, there's something about, and if you, those of you who have uh, children or are thinking of having children, some of you are, are newly married or thinking of being married, and some of you, uh, women in particular, are thinking, you know what, I'll just be super fulfilled when I have a child. That will fulfill me. i got three. I'll borrow them to you for the weekend. It'll take care of that. <laughs> I love my kids, but proof of of original sin is found after about three months of that baby. (laughs) Every parent will know this. They're wonderful, yes, but they love to push your buttons. You know where that comes from? That comes from the fall. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? There's something within us, just like Adam and Eve wanted to push God's buttons and say, we can be like God. Romans 1 talks about this. It's just something thrilling about slapping our maker in the face. You designed sex this way? Huh, take that. It's the stupidest thing because, you, you know, God is quick and he moves and your slap comes around and hits you. <laughs> God isn't hurt by your sin, ladies and gentlemen. God isn't like, oh, please, stop. He's not hurt by your sin. He's angry about your sin. The wrath of God, it says, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. They're pushing it down. They're keeping it away by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, picture a little kid here who thinks he knows everything. They claimed to be wise, they became fools and, and here it is, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. In Galatians class this morning, Chris gave a great analogy about how the sequoia is standing there and we're all just enthralled with the shadow that it throws onto the ground. Turn around. Look at the created Look at the creator, not the created, excuse me. Look at the creator. Don't look at sex. Don't worship the shadow. Worship the author of sex. There's something thrilling within us that you just want to slap You've had a bad day. I'm just going to act out sexually. I'm going to look at those images on the Internet, and I'm going to punish God. What? How does that punish God? The last thing is we've met the enemy, and it is us. There's a weakness within us. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. you got all those things coming at you. It is a boombox. It is a loud ghetto blaster in your brain. How do you get help in that situation? That's next week. But I do want to offer you just a little something here for the next 8, 10 minutes or so. How do you get some help when you've got that kind of noise coming at you? My contention is, even though if you, if you read your email I wrote you this way, I said, turn the boombox down. Think Rethinking through that analogy, I don't think you can turn the boombox down. I really don't. I think there's all those things that I mean. I dentine's going to sell their gum. There's going to be billboards. There's going to be whatever. All that's going to happen. I, I can't stop that. I got to get away from the boombox. I got to put the boombox down. I got to move away from the boombox. And the other thing you got to do is wire yourself to something else. Turn on the iPod. Put the, we'll talk about that next week. Where does healing and victory come from? In this area. Healing because everyone in this room. Have had some failures. No matter they're small or big. We need healing from God. And victory is. How do I experience the joy that there is in this area. Especially if I'm single. How do, I, how do I enjoy that. We'll talk about that next week. This week i want to talk about. How do you turn away. How do you get away. I want to look at two passages with you. And just in kind of more. Just we're going to look at them real quickly. To talk about. How do we get away from this boombox box of noise. Coming at us. Both from. The Apostle John. John was one of the original followers of Jesus. He wrote a letter and he wrote a gospel. First I want to quote, quote from his letter. 1 John 2 verses 15 to 17 say this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. I, I remember that when I was a brand new follower of Christ, I memorized this passage. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And I, I had a real hard time with what exactly does John getting at here. What does he mean by... Don't love the world. I mean, aren't I supposed to love people? Aren't I supposed to enjoy certain things? You gotta understand when in the book of John and it's, it's in the Gospel of John and in his other letters, the word world there almost always means the worldly, the fleshly, those things that are contrary to God. Don't ever love that. Don't ever love that. I don't care how much you're getting duped, you're being lied to by the enemy of our souls, that those things will satisfy. You are being lied to, and I am being lied to. And it's a constant battle to sit there when I'm flipping through channels and Baywatch comes on and think, hmm, good plot. (laughs) In all in all, all due respect, there has never been a good plot to Baywatch. No one watches Baywatch for the plot. But, you know, you, you, you know, well, how are they going to get out of this one? <laughs> you have to say, it's a lie. I'm being duped. And, oh, every muscle in my body says, check out the girls in swimsuits, which have nothing to do with swimming, by the way. But, check out the girls in the swimsuits. No, it's not where true life is. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If, if anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Do you see that? If you go hard after this stuff, it's in opposition to God. For everything in the world, now here defines the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And why shouldn't you worship that stuff? Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. God is not a killjoy. He wants you to get lasting joy, not stuff that's just going to be here and is going to fritter away. So the first thing, how do you turn the boombox down? How do you back away from the boombox? You learn to love God. You learn to love God so much that all this other stuff starts to dwindle away. Next passage is also from John. He writes in John 17. John 17, I'm I'm, going to read almost the entire chapter, but it's Jesus' prayer right before he's going to be uh, captured, right before he's going to be tried, and then he's going to be crucified. And he prays this amazing prayer in John 17. And you're going to find there's tons of stuff in here about how to get away from the boombox and noise. John 17, as after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. Here it is. Here's life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Whatever your view of sexuality is know that it's not life. Knowing Christ is life. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now Father, glorify me in the presence in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. No longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. This is radical. Do you realize if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... That the the preposition makes all the difference in the world. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. That means simply this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, sexual immorality will not satisfy you. It won't. Because you're running on a different, you know, you got Windows 98 and everybody else is running on 95. That's a bad analogy. Uh... The rest of the world's on Windows. You're on OS 10, huh? (laughs) Thank you. You're in, but you're not of. People of hope, we need to live like we're in, but not of. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You can't just go live in a cave. Jesus wants you right in the middle of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. It says there in verse 13 the full measure of joy will be in you as you live of and not in. And then lastly, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's everybody in this room who trust Jesus Christ this morning. You are prayed for by Jesus here on his earthly mission. He He prayed for you. That they all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they, be to, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as, I have, as you have loved me. Your job is to be in but not of, to be full of joy and full of Jesus. That's what this last passage, you're so in but not of and full of joy and full of Jesus that the boom box, you can still hear it. You're going to hear the boombox. The only way I can stop the boombox involves a gun and a bullet and me pulling the trigger right by your head. You're going to hear it. But when you get like that, at least it's manageable. There's other thoughts you can hear too. Let me close by asking you a very hard question. Are you willing to walk away from the boombox? If you're not, this is moot. You can hold all these principles however you want. If you're not willing to, to move away from the boombox, that's what you're going to hear. Let's pray. Lord, daily I struggle with the decision whether or not today I'm going to listen to you or am I going to listen to the boom box daily. God, there are people in this room who for the first time in their lives are perhaps deciding that they want to move away and they can't do it of their own power. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come even in this room, even right now, and you would give that power, you would give that strength to you be the glory, that you would so fulfill John 17 that you'd fill us Full of Jesus, that we would the boombox would just get further and further away, and those thoughts and those attitudes and those actions and those immoral relationships that we've either had or are having or are seeking, that we they they, they just wouldn't even be something on our radar screen, because we are satisfied in you, Jesus. i I want you to do a miracle in us. I want you to come by your Spirit and work such a way that we're just drawn to you. There are people in this room that right now are seeking you for forgiveness and are seeking you for healing. Even though that's next week's topic, obviously, God, that's something that they need right now. Even as we sing these last songs, God, would you come and would you minister to people right where they're at? Communicate how you, like a father, loves his daughter, like that song by John Mayer talks about, that you have that much desire for their lives. Would you show them how much you care for them, how much you love them? Would you hold them in their arms so they can feel you, God? God, would you not allow anything to satisfy us other than you? Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.